Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Would you like to hear a story? How about a song? Today's guest is my friend, Amber Wood, a lovely artist and human. I was particularly grateful for our conversation this weekend in which we discussed self-care, children's literature, feelings, breathing, and much more, including a song for self-soothing. Amber drops so much wisdom and so many resources during our conversation, so please see the show notes for lots of links, especially to the books she mentions. It's always Amber's intention to share stories in a way that helps children's authors and artists sell books so they can make more. Amber Wood is the founding story lady and artistic director of Lightbulb Heart, a storytime and collaborative theater company in Hamilton, Ontario, that celebrates empathy and lifelong play. In 2018, Amber took a 6,000-mile road trip, conducting child play workshops with adult creatives before embedding in Durham, North Carolina, to devise the first draft of There is an Easy Bake Oven Where My Heart Should Be with Emily Hill. The Easy Bake Project is an exploration of rediscovering kid wisdom as a pathway to grown-up emotional well-being. Amber has been reading aloud with children across North America for 25 years. Passionate about helping folks of all ages develop literacy skills and a love of reading, you may often find her sitting on the floors of libraries and independent bookstores looking for her next favorite tales. Amber is currently scheming for a virtual story time to ameliorate some of the stress of COVID-19-related school closures. All of her recorded stories will be works in the public domain. Resources for COVID-19-related school closures can be found on her website, lightbulbheart.org. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Amber. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Hi, Tamara. I'm really happy to be with you. I think we should start with having you read something. What would you like to read? I found a little story called The Little Pine Tree off of Project Gutenberg, which means it's in the public domain, which is really nice in times like these when we're trying to get stories out to kids and are worried about copyright. (laughs) Hmm. So this is from Old Time Stories, Fairy Tales, and Myths Retold by Children. And uh, it's by E. Louise Smythe, and it was published in 1896. This is the little pine tree. A little pine tree was in the woods. It had no leaves. It had needles. The little tree said, I do not like needles. All the other trees in the woods have pretty leaves. I want leaves too. But I will have better leaves. I want gold leaves. Night came, and the little tree went to sleep. A fairy came by and gave it gold leaves. When the little tree woke, it had leaves of gold. It said, oh, I am so pretty. No other tree has gold leaves. Night came. A man came by with a bag. He saw the gold leaves. He took them all and put them into his bag. The poor little tree cried. I do not want gold leaves again. I will have glass leaves. So the little tree went to sleep. The fairy came by and put the glass leaves on it. The little tree woke and saw its glass leaves. 
How pretty they looked in the sunshine. No other tree was so bright. Then a wind came up. It blew and blew. The glass leaves all fell from the tree and were broken. Again, the little tree had no leaves. It was very sad and said, I will not have gold leaves and I will not have glass leaves. I want green leaves. I want to be like the other trees. And the little tree went to sleep. When it woke, it was like other trees. It had green leaves. A goat came by. He saw the green leaves on the little tree. The goat was hungry, and he ate all the leaves. Then the little tree said, I do not want any leaves. I will not have green leaves, nor glass leaves, nor gold leaves. I like my needles best. And the little tree went to sleep. The fairy gave it what it wanted. When it woke, it had its needles again. Then the little pine tree was happy. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, E. Louise Smythe, 1896. <sighs> have you read that to children before? I have not. I was just looking over the last couple of days and found that little nugget in the midst of a bunch of racist, classist, misogynist nonsense and was mm. so happy to see something that was just like, when you want what others have or you want something else, this mindset of scarcity at one point, it was just, it was so nice to see something very simple and saying, be happy with what you have and with who you are and finding out who that is in comparison is what we do all the time. But like having just that simplicity of this is who I am mm. <sighs> and being okay with that and not wanting something else at the end is just really lovely to me. It does feel a little bit to me like the end of the story is an exhale, mm -hmm. sort of relaxing into what is authentic about your expression. Mm -hmm. And I know that I personally want to resist <laughs> sometimes <laughs> what is authentic about me. And I try to be like other people, not in a way that is aspirational, like I'm inspired to be like them. It's right. It's sort of this, you know, desperation to be not me. Yeah. And I think that that's a very powerful idea to present to kids through a story. And to yeah. adults, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that the little pine tree comes back to itself. And that's something, you know, with the Easy Bake Project that I've been working on for now, <laughs> a long time, two years, is is exactly that. It's wanting to get back to the kid wisdom of who I was and what it felt like to be in my little body and understand how it worked and to want to be me and a true expression of that. Um, there was a time in my life as a child that I was really happy without the anxieties layered in and everything else. I just, I'm trying to find that and unpack that for myself and then help other people to find that too. So could you say a little bit more about that? If you were talking to an adult who does remember a time when they felt a little freer mm. in, in themselves with the understanding that you're not a therapist and right. this is not... <laughs> This is not a medical recommendation, but it is rather a creative expression exercise. Yeah. What might you suggest? I think I would use an exercise that we use in the workshops as an example of that. And that's to take a picture of our tiny selves at some age that looks like it's telling a story in the picture. And we take on the physical posture 
of that tiny person in that picture and sit in it for an uncomfortably long time and ask a lot of questions like, what do you think you had to eat for breakfast that day? And what's your hand doing? Did you know how to write at this point? Um, What was the last kind thing that somebody maybe said to you? Just ask a lot of questions to really live in that experience for a while. And then we ask questions about like, where are you experiencing tension in your physical person right now? Where are you experiencing freedom? And then we move into a state of our usual everyday adult posture and say, is there anything that is the same? Do you hold tension in the same places? Do you hold freedom in the same places? Can you physically move from one posture to the other to find out where the shift is? And then can you change your your resting adult posture to reflect a little more of what it was like as a kid, where you felt that freedom in your shoulders or where your belly was expanded and you could really breathe that full column of breath as opposed to the tight, anxious space that we hold for our air now. That's a powerful idea to get in touch with the body, right? It's hard. I need a social worker in the room with me, (laughs) I think, Mm -hmm. when we do that work because it can be really triggering for some people. I mean, by the time I was four, I was experiencing some pretty heavy anxiety And so I can only hold those childhood postures for small amounts of time because it starts to tap into some of that anxiety. So I really have to listen to myself and be kind and continue to breathe and drink water. And I have people in the room saying, like, have you hydrated in the last 10 minutes? You know, outward reminders, because I'm not necessarily going to do that for myself. And that's not just in the workshop space. I think we as adults do that all the time. We forget to take care of ourselves on a just very basic hydrating level. So these are strange and uncomfortable times that we are in currently. And I think even in times that are not strange and uncomfortable, as you mentioned, we neglect ourselves and taking care of ourselves and showing compassion for ourselves. But in these specific times, it seems more important than ever. I know that this is a focus of some of your work, and I'm wondering if you have any wisdom to share. We can start with talking about adults and also talk about children, wherever you'd like to take this. Yeah. I mean, my the majority of my artistic work right now is with kids. As a story lady, that's my primary focus. But I also recognize that there are adults in that space with us while we do story time. So there's a kid sitting in the lap of an adult who needs exactly the same information, not just the stories that we read, but the songs that we sing and the activities that we do. It's not just for the kid in the room. It's for all ages. Mr. Rogers used to talk about the space between the television screen and the child watching as holy ground, as sacred space. And I really do feel that's right. It feels like a huge responsibility that I don't walk into lightly. It's a real job. It's not just fun, although I do have an amazing amount of fun. It's the best thing I do with my life, and it feels really good to do it. Yeah, but just to hold the space for whatever needs to come up for those kids. If a kid is in a really bad headspace and they're acting out, to really acknowledge what they're feeling and that it's valid, uh, to not try to shut it down and to not try to shame that child or the adult who's handling the situation badly in that moment, to really hold active listening space as well as performative space for those people. It's been really, really cool. The idea of the next three weeks not being able to be in space with my kiddos and with their people is stressful for me. And so I'm trying to figure out ways to 
continue those touch points and to make story time a possibility for those kids, especially since schools are closed in Ontario for the next three weeks. I know that they are throughout pockets of the states as well. And so just giving those families something to do that's not just television. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that I would still be a screen if I provide videos or live story time. And that's where the copyright nightmares that I've been waking up with the last couple of nights come into my space. But to just be able to say, hey, we're still together and it's okay. Trying to learn different ways to do community together in the midst of job loss, in the midst of not being able to see each other on a daily basis, to not have those kids in the same class with you all the time or not being able to run next door to play. It's hard to do community when you're just the nuclear family <laughs> mm -hmm. or the next door neighbors that you've made an agreement. Everybody's going to wash their hands and not have any kind of not great contact with the outside world at this moment. Right. But to figure out how we continue to talk to each other, like actual physical letters, because the germs are going to die by the time that they get there. Recognizing that we also have postal workers who come into contact with all of our germs. So like, how do you be in community with workers that you come into contact with? But trying to figure out how we can do life together so that when we come out on the other side of this, we're still healthy and we're probably healthier by having been more meditative and purposeful and intentional about the time we do spend with each other. Are you thinking about taking your stories online? I am. I, I had a great conversation today with John Jimerson, who has a, a YouTube channel which is story time for kids. It's called Seriously, comma, read a book. He's so delightful. He's such a beautiful, brilliant actor anyway, and a wonderful human. And he reads stories to his now 11-year-old child. And he's been doing that for years. And it's really, really great. So I'm pointing people to that resource as something to use and a couple of other education and edutainment resources, craft tutorials, those kinds of things. But for my story time, I'm really trying to focus on how to be kind to each other. So I'm going to revisit some of my themes that I've done in the past for live story times about feelings, caring for one another, general expression and imaginative kind of spaces, and then just books that are a lot of fun. So right now I'm looking at posting some old videos that I had recorded for my niece when she was living in a different time zone from me. And we couldn't have, you know, just Skype or FaceTime story time together because she would be in school or asleep when I was available. And so I would go out to my car and just record a book for her in the middle of the day. And it was just us. I really was not concerned about copyright at that point. I should have been. Mm. But um, just like I needed some way for us to have a relationship because I didn't see her for years at a time other than, you know, online conversations. And so over the course of those years, recording those videos was such a huge bedrock for us that when I would walk in the room that she was actually present in, she'd be like, Amber, let's go. Let's go read books. It was like we had real embodied relationship together. And so I feel like that's hopefully something that I can help facilitate for families is like, hey, you can read together. Let's do this. So I'm posting a lot of those old videos and going to record some new ones. And then I'm going to do some, I haven't figured out if I want to do like go to meeting or something like that, but some kind of just live spaces. I have a group of kiddos in Morocco and another group of kiddos in Spain who want to do story time with me. And we'll do the full 
story time experience where we do you know, like three picture books and uh, four songs, that kind of thing, to just be in space together and ask questions and have conversations about what it's like for them over there, just to really try and forge relationships in that way. I think it's very powerful to hear somebody's voice tell a story. I mean, I think that's that is evidenced by the popularity of podcasts, both nonfiction and fiction podcasts. People like to listen to other people's voices. It helps us feel closer to one another. Yep. I think almost in a way that it's even more than what the visual element gives to us. I, I do think that it's wonderful to recognize somebody visually and to see the visual clues that you can get from somebody's face. Those are very powerful things. But there's also something very powerful about just just hanging on someone's every word. Yeah. And that kind of focused attention that feels very intimate to me and feels relationship building. Yes. And you don't have to be a performer to read books to kids. I have so many adults say like, well, you know, I don't do the voices well. I'm like, you are reading to these kids and that is powerful. It is valuable. It is necessary. Please just read to your kids. Just read, 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 read to your neighbors. Just read. I can't keep the glee off of my face when I'm reading a children's book. I love children's literature so much. And the thing that gives me the most joy is when somebody says, hey, do you have a book for this kid? They're this age and they kind of need a recommendation. I go, oh, yeah, you want this book and this book and this book and this book. And oh, here, let me send you some books. You know, I'm like terrible about that. I'm like Dolly Parton in that way. Let me just send all the kids some books. But it just it makes me really happy. And I feel like even over a screen through transmission in that way, it, it's palpable. And I just, I want to help other folks inspire that love of reading for the tiny people in their life. And hopefully it will spark some of that for the adults as well. What is it about children's literature that interests you so, that, that moves you so? Books were my first friends. We moved around a lot when I was a kid and I didn't I didn't feel like I could really invest in the next people in the next town because I felt like we were just going to leave anyway. So I became very isolated. But I also read really early. And my parents sort of read to me, but my mom said that I used to keep up a, a packet of flashcards with like sight words in my in the pocket of my little apron and carry them around like they were my purse. And she said one day I was just reading. I was like three years old and I was just reading in the middle of the floor. And Books transported me into this world that was so much bigger and also so immediate. I could see on the page kids who were experiencing things that I had experienced but I didn't have language for. And later, like as a 12 and 13-year-old, that would become really, really important to me and seminal in terms of giving me expressive language to talk about what I was feeling. Absolutely deeply necessary to my mental health today. But children's books, the illustrations, and I think the collaboration between illustrators and authors is so amazing. And the life that they can bring to each other's work is so great. I love going to children's book festivals. The Rochester Children's Book Festival is the best children's book festival in the world. It's wonderful. And I've met some of my already favorite illustrators and already favorite authors there and been able to express to them how much I love their book. And to see them light up that somebody loves their book brings me even more joy. How do children respond when you read books about kindness and feelings and how we are together. 
Well, the books that I primarily read about feelings have both the positive and what some adults would call the negative emotions. Mm -hmm. And so it's really cool to me when we talk about the air quote, big time, negative emotions, for the kids to go, wait, I can talk about that. It's okay to make that face. So when we sing the song, if you're happy and you know it, we also sing if you're grumpy and you know it and allow them to stomp their feet and do that kind of thing. Those expressive behaviors that say my brain and my body are fully connected and it's okay to express that inner person on the outside in healthy ways. Um, so that's been really, really interesting. And then I had one kid one day at market. It was dinosaur week. We were just talking about dinosaurs. And she, she didn't want to sit in the back anymore. And she just stood up and marched and she sat right in my lap. And I was like, okay, awesome. This is happening. Can you turn the pages for me? I was like, that kid just needed some love that day from an absolute stranger. I'd never met her before. And to model for the other kids that it's also okay to need that, that's okay to say, I need something else. I need a different experience for myself. I I need somebody to love on me in this moment and have them be okay with that and just love me. Just hopefully modeling all of those things for these kids. I do get a lot of like, whoa, she's talking about what? Um, especially when you're talking about grumpiness or anxiety. And there's a book by Joe Vitek called In My Heart, A Book of Feelings. And we use that both in the Easy Bake workshops as a stretching into emotions kind of thing to get ourselves familiar again with those bigger expressive emotions and in story time. And it's always a huge hit. It's long, so I skip some pages because the little ones will start to get a little wonky. There's this one page about a gray elephant who sits on the child's chest. And as a small child, I really needed somebody to say, hey, if you feel like X, this may be what you're experiencing in your brain. And so to say like, oh, you know what? It does kind of feel like there's an elephant sitting on my chest when I feel tired and when I feel upset and I can't calm down. And then they really like the songs that we sing about feelings. And they're uh, mostly self-soothing songs, which I like to tell the caregivers is, hey, this is a self-soothing song. But it's also a song that adults can do with their kids when the adult themselves is feeling really off kilter and needs to, oh, yes, if I stretch this way, and if I give myself a little hug, and if I <sighs> take a deep breath, I will feel a little more centered and then therefore be able to engage with my child who is not feeling centered. And maybe we can recenter together. So that's been really cool. What is this self-soothing song stuff? Oh, Tell me about this. Yes. <laughs> Sounds miraculous. <laughs> it is miraculous. So I found this song through a, a duo of librarians from the West Coast called Jaybrary. And they have a great YouTube channel. It's all songs and rhymes and finger play to do at story time. And they said, hey, have you guys seen this song, which comes from an occupational therapy pediatric group in Australia called OT Kids? And it's really, really great. The first uh, exercise you do is you stretch your arms out way to the side of you and you kind of open your fingers a little bit like you're going to give a high five, but to both sides. So you feel the stretch across your chest. And with that stretch, we say a big sea star. 
And then the next part is a little cuddle clam. And we give ourselves a hug. We put one hand on one shoulder and cross our body with the other hand. And we give ourselves a little hug and we squeeze from side to side. And we say, a little cuddle clam. And then we go back to a big sea star. And then the last thing is a puffer fish. And we go, a puffer fish. We breathe in, hold it, and breathe out. So the whole thing together, the stretch, the hug, and the big breath just recenters the kid. And it's just, it's really amazing to watch what happens to a kid. It's based on sensory processing theory. And it's just really, really neat. So the whole thing goes, a big sea star, a big sea star, a little cuddle clam and a big sea star, a big sea star, a big sea star, a little cuddle clam and a big sea star, a puffer fish, (gasps) a puffer fish, (gasps) A little cuddle clam and a big sea star. And you just do that a couple of times in a round until the kids are all involved. It's it's neat. And we all feel much more centered. My heart rate slows. And I just feel really good. It's nice. It's really nice. That sounds really nice. Oh, my gosh. Just taking a break. Just just interrupting sometimes. I notice for me that is what helps me personally, but also my children, interrupting kind of the runaway train before it builds up too much speed with a song or a breath or a movement or something like that. And that's really important to teach to the littlest ones. Yeah. Because then eventually they become big ones like me and then they don't know how to do it. That's right. (laughs) That's right. And I think my whole life I've been like, but I am breathing. I am breathing. I am breathing. And I take these these little shallow breaths. And even if I'm like, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. I'm not really taking that full column of air and I'm not breathing properly. I was at an anti-racism, anti-oppression workshop a couple of weekends ago. And the woman running it does all of this wonderful embodied somatic reflective work. It's fantastic. But she said, okay, breathe in for four. Hold it for two and then breathe out for five. If you're not breathing out everything that you brought in, you're not calming down your nervous system. And as soon as I breathed out for five, I thought, I have not felt this calm in like 15 years. Mm. Why don't I do this more? Yeah. And of course, that takes practice. If I haven't done it every day since then, I'm like, but I'm breathing, but I'm five. Okay, okay, okay. I feel much better now. Right, 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 right. I have to put into practice the things I'm telling my kiddos. Right. I'm laughing right now because I have, on several occasions, caught myself thinking that I do not have time to breathe. Like, I don't have time to take deep breaths. And like, I was like, what, right. what are you talking about? Right. That's, that is, oh my gosh. Like I don't deserve to take deep breaths, you know? It's, right, right. And if I don't take those deep breaths now, I'm eventually going to pass out and my body's going to make me take them. Right. So why don't I just take them now so that the next few moments are not filled with dread and terror And I take it out on the people that are around me and I take it out on myself. Well, I think also, and I don't know about for other people, but definitely for me, sometimes taking those deep breaths 
is also an acknowledgement of these negative feelings that you were talking about before. It's like, well, if I need to take deep breaths, that must mean that I'm feeling things that I shouldn't be feeling or don't want to be feeling. And we can't have that. So let's just not breathe. Like, (laughs) Yeah. And if I breathe too much and acknowledge those things too much, I might cry. Right. And, Which and is even happened? worse. It's so terrible. Why would I would cry? Oh no! Oh no! It's like, all right, just get a hold of yourself, lady. Just breathe. It's gonna be hard, and then you're gonna be okay. And I think being around kids can be a wonderful way to re-educate ourselves in some ways. I think that the conversations that people are having now just weren't conversations that that were had no. when I was really small, you know, and so. In some ways, it's nice to have the opportunity to have a do-over or at least change our trajectory in this way and maybe teach some skills to some little ones who can, you know, grow into adulthood carrying some of these tools. That's right. And these conversations also mean that we're talking with kids and adults about things that really matter in ways that really matter. So when we talk about being off of school for three weeks... That means we also then talk about the kids who have food insecurity mm. and usually get two out of the maybe three meals they're going to get that day at school. So what do we do in that? Do we donate to food banks? Yes. Like what do we what is our response to that? I think it grows our experience personally and our communal experience, helping us to think about the people who are on the outside of us. There's a wonderful picture book that I just discovered a couple of weeks ago. It's called May We Have Enough to Share. It's by Richard Van Camp, who's just a everything he touches, I buy. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. But it's basically about let's not live in scarcity. Let's let's think about sharing truly what we have with others and loving on others in a way that isn't so jealous and so greedy to allow our whole community to flourish. Do you have a few pages of that book that you can share with us? I do. It's really short. It also has really, really beautiful pictures of Indigenous kids and their caregivers on each page and beautiful beaded detailed butterflies. May we have enough to share, to know the sweetness of every day. May we have enough to share our homes, our food, our stories, our laughter. Move through it so I'm not reading the whole thing. May we have hugs to warm each other's hearts. May we have enough to lighten each other's sorrows. May we have enough to help. And that is across the page from this just absolutely gloriously laughing, smiling child. She's just beautiful. And her caregiver is giving her a hug from behind. And she's holding this beautiful flower. She just looks so happy. And then may we have room to grow and be ourselves. And it also talks about healing of our mother earth and knowing love. It's just, it's a, it's a beautiful book about gratitude. It's gorgeous. Mm. I think that's a wonderful way to end our conversation, but I want to make sure that there's nothing that we missed that you'd like to talk about before we close. I'm just really happy to have spent this time with you and talk about things that that matter, that seem really small, but are actually really, really big and make my heart very full. Thank you, Amber. Thanks, Tamara. 